TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Ah, welcome, 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 my friends. It's another exciting edition of At Your Service here on KMOX. Tonight, I'm sure you're wondering why we played the opening to Star Trek well, I'll tell you what, we're going to have some fun tonight. We have some great guests that are going to be on the show. We're going to start with Bill McKinnon. He is a professor of Earth, Environmental, and Planetary Sciences with Washington University right here in St. Louis. He's a real-life uh, rocket scientist, as I'm going to say, and uh, he's been kind enough to join us here on the program to start to kick us off. Bill, thanks for much, so much for coming on tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, you know, Bill, uh, I, I think space is, has really, uh, for me personally, something I've always, uh, uh, I, I've always looked into, really uh, uh, like it, really kind of researched it as much as possible. Uh, when I was younger, I thought maybe I would, I would maybe get into something like that. But uh, it, it's, it still fascinates me today, and I'm old. So, you know. Well, that makes two of us. You know, I was, uh, as we were talking before tonight, uh, or before uh, the show, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember watching uh, in school some of the moon landings and, and uh, the uh, rockets taken off and stuff. Just fascinating, especially when, uh, when you're a younger kid. But I got to tell you, you know, it was a big time back in the 60s. Big space race. Everybody uh, wanting to get there. Are we going to beat the Russians? Are the Russians going to beat us? Uh, it seems like every other week there was something going on with that, and then lo and behold, we were able to uh, land people on the moon. Uh, and again, it still fascinates me today to uh, all the stuff that 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 has went on. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do at Washington University for uh, the space program. Well, I, I uh, you know, along with teaching my regular courses and working with students, I work uh, with and for NASA on their what's called their planetary exploration program. So I'm involved with you know robotic missions to other worlds, especially the farther the better. So that means the moons of Jupiter, the moons of Saturn, Pluto, and beyond that kind of stuff. And so we we take the data that the 
spacecraft return, all the images and all the other data, and we try to make sense of it and try to sort of fit it into what, what's the big picture? You know, how did this all come to be? What, you know, what's our solar system like? Yeah, that's kind of crazy what the solar system's like. I, I You know, and, and all the rockets and, uh, I guess, probes that we've sent to other worlds, the images that come back are, you know, the lander on Mars and all that, just just amazing. And, and you know, you always, as a little kid, you know, I always thought, why why are all these planets different? Why are all they completely, you know, some are gaseous, some are not. We think we found uh, water and ice on other ones and stuff like that. Why are they all different? Well, before I answer that, I'll just say that the fact that we're even exploring the solar system, it's all the heritage of the Apollo program. Even though the human exploration of the moon stopped in 1972, NASA didn't stop, and we've been building machines, sometimes a little, some, sometimes more than a little, um, and you know, going to various places, and especially places like Mars. You see a lot of pictures all the time about from the surface of Mars or from the from orbit about Mars, and uh, you know why they're different is that's like that's like the big question. Like you know why do we have planets that are like the Earth but are not like Venus and Mars? Why do we have planets that are huge and mostly made of gas and yet they're surrounded by sometimes dozens of smaller worlds which we call satellites, but they're they're basically little planets of their own. And then we don't even know where the solar system really ends. We keep the telescopes keep finding new worlds in deep space, which we haven't visited yet. So we're kind of ecking out our knowledge, expanding, you know, just like in the introduction. It is the final frontier, and it keeps on going. And I'll say one more thing. You know, telescopically, astronomers, not me personally, but other astronomers have been discovering planets around other stars now, which, you know, they didn't really know about in Star Trek days and, when, you know, in the 60s. And we know we have thousands, like over 5,000 known planets outside of our solar system. And a lot of them are not like any planet inside our solar system. So we don't, we're not even done cataloging the kinds of worlds that might exist. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not even really scratching the surface at all, right? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, we, we're launching bigger and better telescopes. Some of your uh, listeners may have heard of the James Webb Space Telescope, the successor to Hubble that was launched, you know, uh, a year and a half ago. And it's been doing returning spectacular images and spectroscopic information on the compositions of bodies in our solar system and in others. And there are new telescopes planned. And the bigger you build a telescope, the better view you get, right? Right, and, exactly. Uh, so, and uh, of course, it gets more expensive because <laughs> you really want you really want to. We haven't really. What can I say? We haven't reached the limit yet. So they're they're building a telescope in Chile right now. It called, believe it or not, the name of it is the Extremely Large Telescope, <laughs> and and its mirror is in segments, but it's going to be thirty meters, you know, more than thirty yards across. Wow. So it's like mind-boggling compared to, you know, famous telescopes that people might have heard of, like on Mount Palomar and stuff. Yeah, so I'm, that's just, you know, it's, there's no there's no limit. Of course, it gets expensive. But, you know. Now, do you think, uh, I've been to Mount Palomar, fabulous place, by the way. I, I was just like a kid in a candy store when I was there. Uh, but the, uh, when the, you know, when they watched, launched the Hubble uh, Space Telescope, I mean, that was... I'm sure they've had other stuff there before, but I mean that was the biggest 
that I can remember in the news that, hey, we're going to be able to explore new worlds and, and see a lot. Mm-hmm. Has that really, since we put that up there, it, it just seems like space has become more mainstream. Well, yeah, I think the fact that the images are so gorgeous and they're they're visible light images, so people can really relate to the, what the human eye might see. And uh, even though it's not the biggest, you know, mirror, uh, you know, compared to things on the ground, without that atmosphere in the way the images, uh, once the optics were corrected, uh, are super sharp, and uh, it's just helped. It's just helped sort of spread the idea all around the world. So it's it is more normal now. We are used to, you know, the fact that there's there's always a crew on the space station, and the tele- space telescope is always taking pictures, and there's always somebody running around on Mars. Not somebody, but some robot, right? right. We have two rovers now operating on Mars, and our poor little helicopter has just been retired. You may have read, read about that. <laughs> it, it banged up its blade and can no longer fly. It's like a bird with a broken wing. Right. Exactly. Like, so, uh, I mean, it's just, it, to me, it's just, it's just kind of crazy to think about this. And as you said, you know, we're discovering new, new planets and new stars. And, and who knows how far this is going to go? I mean, obviously, well past my lifetime. I, it'll, it'll go on as long as there's human civilization. As long, I think. As, as, long as there's money to fund it. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. <laughs> and, you know, there's like, you can also stay closer to home and just dig deeper. You know, like sort of returning to the moon, that kind of thing, with with a human crew, and people are talking about doing that for Mars too, and that kind of thing. Now, I would say, let's take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, new space race that's coming on, uh, and uh, we'll get some more insight from you, Bill McKinnon, professor of Earth, Environmental, and Planetary Sciences from WashU. Uh, hang with me a few more minutes. Sure, absolutely. All right, fantastic. Folks, this is KMOX's At Your Service. My name is Greg Damon. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, talk more space right after this. Stick around. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. 
Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Welcome back, everybody. 820 is your time right here in the heart of mid-America. This is KMOX's At Your Service. Greg Damon sitting in the big chair tonight, and uh, we're having some fun. We're actually talking about space, and gosh, I'll tell you what, we got a great guest on uh, on the phone with us, Bill McKinnon. He's a professor from Earth, or he's a professor of Earth Environmental and Planetary Sciences Sciences. Right here in uh, WashU, right here in St. Louis, real life rocket scientist. And uh, again, Bill, I can't thank you enough for uh, hanging out with us here tonight on uh, At Your Service. Oh, it's been great so far. All right. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, we'll keep it going the same uh, the same yeah, way. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, before we went to the break, we kind of talked a little bit. About, um, you know, again, uh, and I just draw back from my experiences back in the '60s. You know, it was a big, uh, it was a big thing, big space race. Us in Russia, who's going to, uh, who's going to get to the moon first, and and all that. Well, you know, it's kind of, uh, it kind of seems like now there's a new space race uh, going on with several uh, several countries here uh, around the globe. With uh, you know, Japan getting into it, and India getting into it, and of course now it seems like our biggest rival, China is really pushing forward. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, and I, I was also a, a teenager uh, during the Apollo era, and uh, it was a very fast-paced and incredible uh, thing uh, to witness, and it was very important. Uh, you know, it was a Cold War competition between right. us and the Soviet Union, and they were actually trying really hard behind the scenes secretly, but their program basically imploded and we basically were the last people in the race. But the fact that we even pulled it off with the technology of the 1960s, it still blows my mind. And what those guys did, my admiration is just through the roof for all of them. Um, but you're right. Today, it's a different world. It's a different world. The United States, uh, we look back 50 years ago and we say, uh, well, let's, it's time to go back to the moon. But let's, let's do it kind of in a more methodical way. So uh, NASA is not, in a sense, totally in charge of what, what they call now the Artemis program. And uh, they're basically saying, okay, you, SpaceX, uh, we're going to pay you money. I want you to develop a moon lander. So Elon's company is working on a moon lander they're going to launch on their giant starship. And it says, all right, and Jeff Bezos, you and your, your company, Blue Origins, you're going to also going to give you money. So you develop a moon lander you call Blue Moon and a new giant rocket yourself, which hasn't flown yet, uh, but will. Um, and so it's almost like there's a co- the competition is between two American companies, and uh, but we're kind of taking it real slow compared to the, uh, like you say, our principal rivals on the globe now are, well, uh, real rival is China. And they have a very sophisticated space program that they have been building up year after year after year. They've been launching robotic missions to the moon and landing on the moon, which we haven't done in a long, long time. Um, And they've uh, orbited the moon. They've landed on the moon. They've roved on the moon robotically again. They've even picked up rocks and shot them back to the Earth for scientific study. Uh, That was a couple of years ago. And they're going to do it again. I believe it's this year. Maybe if I'm wrong, maybe next year on the far side. They've gone to the far side of the moon. Uh, and with a communication satellite, and they have, and they, but the kick, the kicker, the kicker, Greg, they have announced that they intend to send Chinese astronauts, which they call Taikonauts, to the moon and return them safely to the Earth before this decade is out. That is uh, the the 2020s. And so, in a sense, they've laid down a gauntlet. I 
I know people at NASA are paying attention, but I'm not sure anybody else is. So we're going to see. We're going to see who gets there first. Now, what about uh, some of these other countries? I know uh, India has landed uh, something on the moon, and also Japan has tried to land something on the moon. Yeah, they, they just dropped something on the moon, and it kind of went thunk and fell over. <laughs> and uh, But it at least it, it, it worked for a while. And uh, they, then when the sun went to a different side of the uh, machine, the solar cells uh, gave it enough power. So it wasn't it's not designed to last. So, um, yeah, it's these are more these are like the baby steps, like to send a robotic craft and land. So and lots of different countries. Um, Japan has tried to land and failed on the moon and they just sort of semi succeeded, shall we say, halfway. And India just succeeded in landing on the moon. And so it's it's perceived as part of like what a great nation should be able to do to sort of join the, an elite company of which all, previously the Soviet Union and the United States uh, were uh, were part of. So I think those, I'm not sure if I'll live to see all of this, but I think our children are going to live to see basically a moon base on the order, not like a giant city on the moon, but more like the Antarctic bases that we have where people go there to work and study but it's not a place you really you're going to stay there go to raise your raise your kids right like the song goes um now i mean what a well do you think uh that that base on the moon do you think that that is going to be you know international like the space station or do you think it's every country for itself i think there'll be groups of countries i think the we will we are we are in fact what we call have this thing we call the Artemis Accords, where we try to bring in other countries to join us in working towards um, returning to the moon and doing stuff like that. There's no explicit plan for the United States to build a lunar base, but I could see that between us and all our allies. But the Chinese have also announced that they want do want to build a moon base, and they are inviting countries. But we don't work with the Chinese and they don't work with us. So what I look, it's, it is a kind of echo of the of the old Cold War from 50 years ago, where we'll have two rival <laughs> right. races on the moon. Yeah. Now, but, you I, know, I, it, yeah, go ahead. I, I'm just going to say there's it's not like you're going to find gold or oil on the moon. So it's it really is about prestige and science and that kind of thing. Um, I tell you what, we got to take a quick break. I got a couple more questions about the moon for you. And then uh, we can get into some other stuff as well. Uh, hang cool. with us some more time. Absolutely. All right, fantastic. Folks, on the phone, we are visiting with Bill McKinnon. He's a professor of Earth, Environmental, and Planetary Sciences right here at WashU, right here in St. Louis. And uh, so we're going to take a quick break, come back. More talk about space, space exploration, the moon, the whole bit. This is KMOX is at your service. Welcome back, everybody. KMOX is at your service. 8.32 is your time right here in the heart of mid-America. And uh, we're talking a little space, space exploration, moon landings, all sorts of great stuff. Great, great guest on the phone, Bill McKinnon. He is a professor of Earth, Environmental, and Planetary Sciences right here at WashU in St. Louis. And uh, real-life rocket scientist, as I've been saying as well. And again, Bill, thank you so much for, uh, for hanging with us tonight here on KMOX is at your service. Yeah, it's great to be here. 
So uh, before we went to the break, we were talking about maybe, uh, you know, some countries establishing moon bases and, and things like that. Uh, I, I, you know, back in the 60s, it sure seemed like as I got a little older, you kind of realized like, hey, all this rocket stuff really is is kind of got an underhanded, maybe a military kind of thing about it to where they could, uh, you know, really, really perfect missiles and, and, and things like that. Uh, what about today? Well, you know, the when the space age started, of course, we were, both the Russians and we were repurposing our ballistic missiles to send people satellites and then people into orbit. But uh, NASA is a non-military organization, and that part of space exploration has been uh, strictly um, uh, civilian, even though, of course, the astronauts in the old days, a lot of them, almost all of them were from uh, the various armed services. Um, We're trying, I think most people are trying to keep space from becoming militarized, but as the human race moves more deeply into space, because, you know, Remember, like, we have not sent any people beyond Earth orbit for 50 years, 52 years almost. Well, and uh, once, once you know, like we're talking, like, if we really do establish even uh, moon base, you know, people are going to think about, uh, uh, well, how do, how do we protect it from possible, you know, hostile action? So we'll see. We'll see. You know, the, right now, the worst things we have are, you know, anti-satellite weapons where both sides um we're not supposed to but they do you know and the russians and we and the chinese we all have the capability of knocking each other's satellites off off balance or you know disabling them and you know satellites are so important for managing the the you know the, the theater of conflict or the battle space as my as my uh daughter uh, likes to call it and uh um, that's important to protect those assets. So um, I guess we can just hope for the best. Uh, the human human race is, is what it is. And uh, um, we went to the moon. We came in peace for all mankind. I'd, I'd like to see that it stays that way, but there's no guarantees. Nope, I couldn't agree more. Uh, also about uh, why all of a sudden now does it seem like there's such a big push uh, after 52 years to, to get back to the moon. You know, some of the theories that I thought of, uh, are we, are we going to, uh, harvest, uh, you know, minerals, uh, things like that? Um, you know, I, 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 what's, what's the, what's the big thing to get people to go back to the moon all of a sudden? I think there are different things are happening. So number one is, Elon Musk and SpaceX have revolutionized the economics of space travel because they have these rockets that are reusable. So instead of throwing them away, you just you refurbish them and you refuel them and you launch them again. And it it just lowers the cost dramatically. The access to space is is much better than it ever was. And it's there are also, you know, other ideas about, you know, keeping the manufacturing stream all kind of in one place and there and. There are just a lot of companies that realize that they can do this, too. And so there are a lot of startups working different parts of the the space commerce sector, which more or less has to do with things in orbit around the Earth. Um, But ultimately, we could, in fact, go into space for minerals, 
that, you know, things like rare earths or lithium, um, they may not be on the moon, but they might be on asteroids we could reach. I know that sounds far-fetched, but it's not crazy. And um, recently there was even a test satellite that even demonstrated beaming back through microwaves, electrical power from orbit. That is, you know, you have solar panels in orbit in sunlight all the time, that kind of thing. So at least as a proof of concept, uh, you know, for energy generation. But the other big thing is that we do have this geopolitical rival, and they know that the next nation that lands humans on the moon, and provided they don't die there but get back alive, well, it's like an enormous bit of prestige that they will have matched what the United States did. Sure. So they're driving. They're driving towards that goal. They're driving it in a very deliberate way. And they're just counting on us to drop the ball. But I and I don't think we will. But <laughs> so, um, that's kind of like the, the second thing. Um, that's And the moon is accessible. The moon is something you can do. It takes three days coasting to get to the moon. So and we know how to do it. Like back right, right when we were kids, right? No one knew if you flew into space whether you would be able to live. Right. And so we, we've sort of proved all of that, and we, we even know how to go to the moon. And now we can sort of do it not as a crazy experiment, like the ultimate science experiment, but actually sort of do it in a more uh, thoughtful way that, you know, as uh, some people like to say, we're going to go back and we're going to go there to stay. Uh, you know, you were talking about SpaceX and uh, Elon Musk and his reusable uh, rockets. I got to tell you, that is one of the coolest things to see that come back to the platform after it's been in space and comes back. That to me, that's just it. It, it blows my mind thinking about that. It is amazing, and um, and the Chinese are copying that. So, <laughs> so, um, so you know, we kind of talked about a little bit about that. Uh, we, as you said, you know, we know how to get to the moon. We know how to do that. It seems like today, you know, back, and again, I was a little kid back then, but it sure seemed like almost every day there was some news about space and going to space and we're going to launch men to the moon. We've got men on the moon. We've come back. We've, we've sent several missions. And now it seems like it's harder and harder to send somebody to the moon when back in the sixties, all the computers and stuff that we had, my iPhone has got more power than what that does. Your iPhone and my iPhone both have tremendously more power than the uh, flight computers on the Apollo program. Um, it's it seems like it's more difficult, but you have to look at the whole the whole space arena. There is stuff happening all the time in space. There are launches happening. Uh, all over the world, satellites operating their spacecraft orbiting Venus, and they're on the surface of Mars, and they're orbiting Jupiter, and they're, they've flown past Pluto, and on and on and on. So it's busy. It's just that the moon itself, once we achieved the moon landings, and once those stopped, there wasn't a great reason that Congress, our government, you know, and, uh, and the administrations of the day, and the Nixon administration going on and then forward, had to continue that kind of program. And, uh, and starting it again has proven on the U.S. side, it's just, it's been, I'll just say my opinion is it's been lethargic, right? Mm -hmm. We've been working on this space launch system 
this is to send the capsule with the astronauts to the moon for years and years and years. And this is a giant rocket that's flown once, and it uses it reuses the old space shuttle engines, and but they go into the drink when they're done. And but it's not even it's only half the moon rocket because it just gets the guys or gals to the moon. There's no lander. That's why we're these contracts with SpaceX and with Blue Origin to develop moon landers. So it's it, why it's taking so long. I guess it's just not an, a national priority. I got you. People don't feel it. Um, but, I, you know, it's not like it isn't happening, but we'll see. And, or, you know, and also right now they have to slow the program down a bit because budget negotiations in Congress, which some of your listeners may have heard about. So, NASA recently announced they had to delay the next flight of the space launch system and the Artemis program um, until the end of 2025, which may even slip into 2026. And this mission doesn't land on the moon, but it will be the first mission to send people beyond Earth orbit in the, uh, you know, the so-called Orion capsule. And so they'll orbit the moon. Um, It'll be a kind of a repeat of Apollo 8, which happened quite a long time ago, but at least it will be something. It'll be the next big step. Uh, I mean, I totally understand. It seems like they're just redoing the whole thing over and over and over. Uh, it's just kind of, I, I guess I, I, I'm i a skeptic. You know, it's like, hey, we've already done this. Why can't we just send somebody up and put them on the moon right now? <laughs> you know you know what I mean? Uh, Instead well, of orbiting the moon, you know, it's like we've already been there, so... If you re- if if the goal was to get there before some deadline and you you know if it was just about flags and footprints, then we could do that. But the program is so, somewhat designed to be a little more permanent. But like I say, it's like it's the the devil is in the details, and we've got two separate companies with two very different approaches to uh, landing on the moon, and they're not there yet. And so we'll see. We'll see. Well, you're talking about uh, two separate Call companies. Um, yeah. Call me back in 2030. I'll let you know what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think it's good for uh, for the space program to really have, uh, you know, the privatization of space? I don't want to say space travel, but privatization of space exploration. I, I, I think it's a natural step. It's, you know, when in the 60s and, the, and beyond, you know, it was an important national priority. And you re, it was, in, in a sense, the, um, though the nation relied on the, on the government to run it. But I, I think we see that the edges of this, we see people going into suborbital flights on, on Jeff Bezos's rocket. We see them taking on and, uh, Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic uh, rocket plane that goes super high and then comes back. And even SpaceX launches private astronauts into orbit. You have to pay a lot of money, but, you know, eventually I, I don't see why that it's not, could not be a good thing. And may, maybe somebody, you know, the, somebody will actually build that space Hilton that, you know, was in the, <laughs> in the movie 2001, you know, cause the space station right now is kind of Spartan. Like you want to live inside a tin can? Yes. It's, this is, a, we've got a place for you, but you know, if you wanted an orbital hotel where you could take a honeymoon, you know, that's a kind of separate, I guess I never really thought of enter- that. Private enterprise, I think is, as has a, an important role to play. And I think the idea 
NASA is also paying money to private companies, not to just launch people, but to launch machines to the moon. We just had, in fact, a launch of uh, uh, what was called the Peregrine Lander, and it it was built by a company called Astrobotic. They're out of Pittsburgh. They're a fine company. Uh, But I have to say they had a problem with the fuel leak, and it it was failed. The machine failed. So, But NASA is investing money in allowing companies to take risks and try. And the idea is to that you throw enough spaghetti on the wall, something's going to stick. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so the idea is that these early machines will land on the moon and they'll operate for a lunar day. And then, of course, they will die during the two-week-long cold of the lunar night. Uh, but eventually, companies will build machines that will outlast and then maybe I will have wheels and do things. And, you know, I, it's, a, it's an evolution. It's an evolution. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a great idea. Well, I tell you, you know, the Mars rovers, who would have thought they lasted this long? Oh, those, those things are amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, they're usually, you know, the engineers, of course, these are built at the Jet Propulsion Lab in California. And these, these guys and gals, they really, they love a good challenge. Like, we want you to design a rover that will last for 90 days or we want you to design a helicopter that will work <laughs> on a place like Mars. Oh, by the way, there's no air. Well, practically none. <laughs> so make it work, guys. And uh, But they figure it out, and uh, they're so, you know, the helicopter was supposed to design to fly five times, okay? It flew 72 times before something, wow. before something conked. And the rovers are designed to last 90 days, and they run for years. So this is like engineering uh, par excellence. Um, you know, it's just amazing stuff. Well, fantastic. Hey. Which is why I think ultimately the moon stuff will come off. It doesn't maybe have the same focus that, you know, exploring Mars does to a lot of people. That's really super exciting to a lot of my friends, shall we say. Well, we're going to talk more about moon bases. i got to take one more break. Can you hang with me a few more minutes? Absolutely, Greg. Fantastic. Folks, we are visiting with Bill McKinnon. He's a professor of Earth and Environmental and Planetary Sciences right here in Washington, St. Louis. Stick around. More of KMOX is at your service. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Welcome back to the KMOX Auto Show, my friends. 852 is your time right here in the heart of mid-America. Greg Damon sitting in the big chair. Matt Pajeski kicking out all the jams tonight here uh, relating to uh, space and space travel. Thanks, Matt. But uh, on the phone, we're visiting with Bill McKinnon. He is a professor of Earth, Environmental, and Planetary Sciences right here at WashU in St. Louis. And again, Bill, thanks so much for, uh, for hanging out with us here on KMOX's uh, At Your Service tonight. It's been a blast. So uh, a couple of things that I wanted to uh, to talk about, but I actually just got a uh, a, a listener that uh, texted in and wanted to know, what is the future of the International Space Station, and does it have a shelf life? That's a, a, a very topical question. Um, uh, NASA has been making uh, noises and statements about deorbiting the space station Basically, to save money so they can, instead of, you know, maintaining the crew and all the infrastructure on the ground to to support the station, they can then apply it to the Artemis program and returning to the moon. 
Um, but on the other hand, everybody's saying, but wait a second, there's nothing wrong with the space station. It can last for many, many more years. All you really have to do is continually reboost it because it, even at its altitude, like 300 or 350 miles up um, as it circles the globe, there are enough air molecules that hit it that it slowly takes the orbit down. And so you need periodically, uh, you know, a, a way and, and what, to basically lift the orbit a little bit and keep it going. So they just announced, I believe, I can't tell you all the details, they just announced that they intend to keep the space station in orbit um, a few more years past what they were talking about. But I can't tell your listener what that year is, but you could look it up online. Um, you know, and, you know, when you talk about rivalry, the, the Chinese have their own space station. Okay. <laughs> it's completely separate from ours. Didn't and it's a, one of these, it's one of these also oddities of the present political situation is like we and the Russians jointly operate the space station, the international space station. And of course there's crew members from different countries all the time, but there's always an American and there's always a Russian on board. And, you know, so far, um, it's working out, even though we're really kind of at loggerheads over the war in Ukraine. And uh, yeah, that's yeah. Let's, I always wondered. Like, hope that <laughs> nothing happens like in the movies, right? <laughs> that's out now. Yeah, so. exactly. So uh, we only got about a minute and a half here. I just have one more question. So you know, talking about putting sure. a base on uh, on the moon and stuff. Do you think that would be like a refueling station to get people to Mars? Oh. I think a refueling station would probably be in orbit around the Earth. Okay. Um, unless we figure out a way to take the water that exists at the poles of the moon, which is it's ice, obviously, uh, mixed with all sorts of junk, and somehow able to do rocket fuel. Um, uh, maybe, maybe. Going to Mars is a whole different kettle of fish compared to going to the moon. You know, it's not been done for a good reason. It's darn hard. And there's a lot of things that have to be worked out before that can be done, and the astronauts don't arrive there in terrible shape. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, Bill, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. For folks with more information, where can they go? Uh, basically, uh, the Internet. You can hit any of the websites that, that NASA runs. Uh, also, you know, we, we have uh, lecture series that run out of WashU, and plus this organization we call the McDonald Center for the Space Science, because, you know, the McDonald Aircraft Company here in St. Louis had a big role in the sure. space race back in the day. Yep. Well, Bill, i got to take off. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Bill McKinnon, professor of Earth, Environmental, and Planetary Sciences, thanks for joining us on the show. It's been a, pl a great pleasure, Greg. Thank great you so much. To you. Folks, this is the KMOX Auto Show. Don't worry, we got a whole other hour coming up right after news. Stick around, my friends. It's going to be great. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love. Hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.